Welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Jake Peach and Chris Moss. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Instagram. And in this episode of the podcast of Around the Outside, we are looking back to the last race weekend in Sochi in Russia, rounding up the latest news and gossip off the track, of which there has been plenty with the week's break leading up to this next Grand Prix. Um, as we look ahead, though, to this weekend's Turkish Grand Prix, the location in which Lewis Hamilton joined Michael Schumacher on seven world titles last season. Will it be as thrilling as last time out? I'm sure hope so. But first, let's look back two weeks ago to the Russian Grand Prix. Well, Jake, where do we start with the Russian Grand Prix? I think qualifying is probably as good a place as any because what a crazy qualifying session we had. Uh, obviously, we got a brand new pole sitter within Formula 1. We had Lando Norris starting at the front of the grid. His old teammate and now nemesis in the Ferrari, Carlos Sainz, starting in P2. And then the new Wonder Kid, the man that everybody calls Mr. Saturday, soon to be a Mr. Sunday when he gets to Mercedes, George Russell, getting P3 in a Williams. Out qualifying his soon-to-be teammate Lewis Hamilton starting in fourth. I think that's the first time we've had three British drivers in the top four, probably ever. Yeah, I think the last time that happened, we have to go back to sometime in the nineties, I believe, when with uh, with Damon Hill possibly and uh, Coulthard and, and those and that kind of era. I can't remember exactly, but if anyone can trump us on that. Let us know. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been a long time since it happened. And uh, yeah, what a crazy qualifying. I don't think we could have ever, ever predicted what was going to happen. We had changeable conditions. The McLaren was strong off the back of Italy in Monza. Um, some of us thought it might be a bit of a, you know, a one trick pony, but it wasn't to be. McLaren had the pace, had carried it on to Russia. And it was just, I, I mean, I was watching the qualifying and it was just, you know, it was just magnificent. And then Russell, what an effort to get into P3. It was that kind of situation where we, in changeable conditions and the teams gambled in the qualifying anyway, we'll get onto the race in a second. And just picked the perfect moment. The The track was drying and drying even more and more. And Landon Norris, one of the last to complete their lap and uh, really capitalised on that and, and the pace that the track had. And, and I, he said he took uh, quite a bit of risk, you know, trying to gain some time around. And then signs P2 in the Ferrari, which I'm sure they'll take uh, after the season they've had at the start and now sort of building momentum as we go throughout 2021 and then yeah George Russell off the back of P2 in Belgium a few weeks ago I'm sure he wouldn't have minded getting P3 as well but I don't think he expected that no and say Lando was on course for pole in Belgium obviously before he crashed going up uh, Eau Rouge um, so again both the British drivers seem to be excelling in these changeable conditions you know something that we've seen quite a lot with Lewis Hamilton in the past Jensen Button obviously known as quite a rain master himself uh, it's obviously a trait that British drivers seem to have, you know, being that, you know, it's raining 99% of the year. Um, but no, it's great to see. And, you know, it's nice to see some fresh young talent at the front of the grid as well. And obviously with Lewis in fourth, you know, he's got a championship to think about. We we saw very, you know, 
feisty looking sort of grid and something that you know looks well for the future do you think as well like formula one i I think about sort of maybe a year maybe two years ago people were calling out and fans were like we really need to do something to mix up the grids it's always the same people at the front and it's it's always mercedes leading the way it's so predictable i could tell you who's going to be on pole before i even open my eyes and turn on the tv uh and uh, you know see what happens at qualifying but now you know if anything this season is to go by the fans prayers from a couple of years ago have kind of been answered but in a in a natural way it hasn't been forced yeah, no, it's it's one of them things, you know, they've got the new regulations for next year to try and make racing more competitive. And yet we're probably having one of the most competitive seasons we've had yeah. probably since 2008, something like that. Yeah, or, or arguably 2012 with the with the uh, seven different winners in yeah, the first but, races. Know, it's absolutely crazy how, you know, we, we, we don't know who's going to be on pole anymore. I think, you know... Mm. There's going to be certain tracks where you can say, oh, it's a Red Bull track or it's a Red yeah. track. Still an element of um, you know, predictability. We, we were pretty adamant it was going to be Mercedes getting pole position yeah. in Sochi. And, you know, due to the conditions, you know, that's something that when Bernie Eccleston was in, he was like, well, we should just have sprinklers all over the track and, you know, <laughs> do it that way. I mean, we've seen in Belgium when we've had wet conditions, albeit maybe not for the race, um, we've had it spiced up with George Russell getting second. Mm. Yeah, we've had another wet race now in Russia and you know again we've had a spiced up grid it's you know everything you want for a race so yeah it was um, it was good to see and you know it gave us you know an appetite to watch the Russian Grand Prix notably one probably one of the more boring races normally watching yeah you're right it does have his reputation I think we said last week in the podcast for being a bit processional but is anything but I mean Chris just take us through what ended up being, you know, a very tense uh, and dramatic race in the end. Yeah, I mean, the big one, obviously, is Lewis Hamilton finally got to triple digits. You know, he took race 99 at Silverstone. Don't think he expected it to be as long to get to race win 100. No. But he did eventually get there. And to be fair, whereas one joy for one Brit, it was heartbreak for another for Lando, who stuck out <laughs> on them slick tyres in what was seeming to be almost heavy wet conditions yeah. um, later on in the race. Absolute heartbreaking for Lando. I was, I, I had commentary on whilst I was at work listening to it. Mm. And literally my heart sank. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was, was not f- nice. No. And, you know, you wanted Lando. I, I was, as long as, you know, Lewis got some decent points, I would have been so happy for Lando to have won. You know, yeah. we saw Danny Rick get first in Monza. It would have been just the icing on the cake for Lando just to get his first win in Formula One. It's not to be obviously in Russia, but he will get a win. Like he's the driver, yeah. you know. He he's made a mistake by not going into the pits, but mm. he will recover from that. It was just know. it was such an awkward and unpredictable twist in the race that it you know is a perfect ingredient for what fans want the spectacle the entertainment but for the drivers out on track at the time because the track is only it's only raining and a little bit greasy is what they call it a little bit slippery it's not enough to go onto the intermediate tires at that stage but because the situation is changing all the time and because it's only wet in one part of the track at that point it's really much a a risk versus reward kind of trade-off at that moment and 
the the difference was is that Mercedes were more confident in the weather system and the information they were getting because all the teams have the same weather system, so they have the same information, mm. and it's it's just how they interpret it or if they've got scouts out on certain parts of the track feeding back to the teams. I don't know if that's even a thing anymore, but I know it used to be. I mean, I think the I think this was more down to driver. I mean, Lewis was pretty adamant he did not want to come in. He didn't no. feel it was right, but the team were adamant as well to say no come in and you know Lewis you know he trusts his team more than anything listen to him Lando you know he still had it in his heart that the slicks were the right tyres you know he he still thought it was going to dry up but I still by the end of the race it did I still think it was a joint decision though because on the McLaren side because you know um, Mercedes very much put the onus on Lewis and kind of passively told him to come in and, and said if you don't this this is going to be a, a disaster so yeah there was an element of trust there but then McLaren kind of let Lando have too much of a say in that situation I mean hindsight's wonderful and we're looking back on it now and, and the team have obviously in the in the time since but you know if the if the team if McLaren had been more adamant at that point then it might have gone a bit differently and Lando would have been out in front of Hamilton. Although it was risky because Bottas had already pitted and was gaining eight seconds a lap or something already on on Bottas on the outlap. And then it would have thrown the race win away for McLaren and and, and Norris, which of course they wanted over anything else. But, um, you know, in in retrospect, it might have been better to come into second or have a chance at least of fighting for the lead. Yeah. But there you go. And say, talking about Valtteri, uh, Mercedes, just before the race, they announced that they were going to give him a brand new engine. Yeah. Um, a bit like what they did in Monza. Um, but I think it was just an ICE this time. So he only got a 10 place uh, drop, putting in P17 after a pretty poor qualifying in seventh. Um, and surprisingly, Mercedes just didn't have the pace in his car. Um, Not in Bottas's anyway. No, I don't know whether they did some adjustments to the to the front wing or uh, and gave him some more downforce, but he was struggling to get past the midfield. Mm. And you know when Max was you know charging through, you know one minute he was behind Bottas, next minute he was ahead saying "see you later, son." <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty easy overtake for Max on well, say a Mercedes car. One yeah, was, of the rumours were it was to try and hold and slow Max down. Well, it didn't do a very good job if that was the case. Didn't work very much because well, that that pass was down the end of the second sector, uh, down the back straight, um, coming to that really tricky sort of off camber third sector. Made it look really easy, almost looked like Bottas let him go. But yeah. uh, as you said, yeah, the strategy didn't really play play to that. And loads of people were asking, "Oh, have they done this as a strategy move?" But you know, if they did, then it's uh, it backfired. Yeah, it backfired, and the only thing they've gained from it is a, it's a second engine at the end of the day. Yeah, and um, say Max, you know, he was picking off drivers at that corner, left, right, and saying, "Oh, he was making overtakes look very, very simple." Um, but when it came to the sort of top of the midfield, you know, the McLarens, the Ferraris, he was starting to struggle to get past them. And, you know, up until the rain came, he was looking to only get P7 in the race, which yeah. if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, you know, that is, yeah, that's a great result. Together. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, he's only going to get six points. Lewis is going to get, you know, 18 at this point. You know, it's going to be a, a big swing in terms of the championship. Um, but Red Bull made the decision to pit early onto Inters. And by mm. doing so everybody else in front was struggling. Max picks everybody else off and 
somehow climbs up to P2. I mean, yeah. if Lando didn't get driver of the day for his efforts, <laughs> you know, Max definitely was a contender for finishing second after starting at the back of the grid. Oh, no doubt about that. And I think we've seen a few memes going around since the Russian Grand Prix, but it's when Max pulled into Park Ferme in P2, Lewis has climbed out of his car and then he looks to the right and then there he is, Max Verstappen in P2, and he's like, hey, what? What's up? How did you do that? <laughs> he's just like next to him there. So, of course, he was hoping, as you say, to capitalise, and Mercedes looking to get that very vital gap that could swing things. But, you know, Max clawing it back and the strategy there and everything just really played into Red Bull's hands. I'm sure they, at the end of the day, they'd take that. Yeah, it was very much a damage limitation. They knew they weren't going to win the race. It was, you know, a more of a Mercedes track. So to come out, to come out and get second place, you know, that was the best result they were going to ask for. Um, but looking after 15 rounds of the championship so far, it is so tight between them. Only two points separate Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. With Lewis Hamilton getting the win, uh, getting that two-point advantage over Max Verstappen. And, you know... Despite Lando leading that race for most of the Grand Prix, you know, because at the beginning, like Carlos Sainz got ahead of him and then Rio overtook, he finished P8. And then not only was he P8, but he was nearly a lap down. He was 87 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton by the time and, he came in and got and, into the and, tires. And that's purely because, you know, in that moment where he got into the sec- sec- section of the track that was really wet and he was on slick tyres and had to crawl essentially crawl all the way back to the pits like you kind of driving about a front, front wing essentially and uh, it was just yeah really unfortunate but that's at the end of the day you know he still got points albeit not a win but um, I mean, be, uh, that, that was Russia, just a testament to his drive being Russia is you know very famous for its um, ballet and it was very much watching <laughs> Bambi on ice <laughs> pirouettes yes um, <laughs> But also, we've got to give a shout out, you know, we already did in qualifying, but Carlos Sainz, he did pick up a podium. Yeah, on know, the pace. He, he had a very strong race car. Um, something Ferrari probably weren't expecting to have, seeing as the rest of the time they've been quick has been on, you know, the very high downforce circuits like Monaco. So to have a track a bit like Sochi and, you know, having pace on engine performance as well as anything else, that was quite a positive weekend. And, you know, I think they're looking to have a good weekend in turkey as well yeah can um, we sp- can we can we spend a hot minute on ferrari at, uh, for, for a second and well, you can spend a hot what, minute or cold minute <laughs> well yeah of course but it was cold in in uh in russia but what what is it about ferrari that kind of that it's been such a roller coaster season for them i mean we, we begin you know at the start of the season it was looking like they were going to be nowhere after bahrain everyone's thinking oh they're going to be fighting for the for not even top of the midfield, they're going to be fighting to sort of keep their dignity a little bit, and and we've then have all those impressive performances in uh, in Monaco uh, and uh, Azerbaijan, I believe, um, and then it kind of win- wilted away in France a little bit. They had a terrible race there, and then we've come to sort of the Turkey now and and Russia, yeah, and, we, and and like they're sort of back there again, sort of up the top and then if we remember Leclerc finishing second in Silverstone it's been really up and down so what what is it about Ferrari where it seems like they've made a jump forward but also you still have doubts about them but what 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 is it that has made them sort of jump ahead in performance I guess do you think I don't know I think certain tracks play to their car philosophy a lot better than others Mm, mm. Um, I think they've tried to focus on certain races to do better. Um, 
I think certain races they've surprised a lot of people. I think Bar uh, not Bahrain, um, Baku was a, a surprise, especially to get pole. I don't think anybody would have, would have suggested that. And they had pace there as well. Um, and again, Silverstone, they, it probably wasn't a, a track where Ferrari would have done very well at, but, you know, they, they, they held their own, even with reliability issues that Leclerc had of, you know, his engine kept, you know, giving away some time. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very turbulent. I think, you know, Leclerc got a new engine penalty in Russia and got a brand new engine and they, they got a few upgrades on it. Some of it which Carlos Sainz is going to be getting for Turkey. I think with that, I think the pace could, you know, help them out. Obviously, they're in a very tight battle at the minute with McLaren. And I think we, we talked about it when we spoke about Italy. That The Italian Grand Prix is probably the worst result Ferrari could have hoped for. At oh, their home circuit, you know, mm. I mean, I'm looking at the points. It's 17 and a half points, I think, between Ferrari and McLaren. And for Ferrari, you'd have to say, compared to, say, if you take last year out, they're probably just about having an average season. They, they've yet to win a race. You know, Alpine have won a race. McLaren have won a race. Red Bull and Mercedes have won races. Ferrari have got a couple of second places, They've had four podiums this year, but they're still yet to win a race. But yet, McLaren, you would say they're having a fantastic season. Like, they're doing, you know, incredible things. But yet, Ferrari is still there. They're very much in the hunt for third place in this championship, which, you know, is very much testament to maybe how underperforming, you know, they are. Like, they're, they're pulling out results and they're pulling them out consistently. So it's but, more on the drivers than the car. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that they're, you know, not probably getting enough credit where yeah. they should. And say, looking at the tables, they are very much there for for that battle for third. You know, Mercedes yeah. and Red Bull are, are they're in distance already. They're already focused on twenty twenty two in terms of points. Oh, yeah, that's they're, know, they're McLaren that's and Ferrari. They're they're another battle in which you know we need to keep an eye on. Alpine, I'd say, probably going to be staying where they are. But then you've got, you know, everybody else has got sort of a pretty big points gap. I'm just confused uh, with Ferrari. Like, strong at a high downforce circuit like Monaco, then strong at a low downforce circuits like Silverstone and, and Baku. It's, I'm just like, you know, in F1, we, you know, we like to find the root cause of these things or, you know, be very precise and analytical and like and understand what's going on and I don't understand <laughs> where where the performance has come from or why it isn't working at certain things but yeah I think you as you say I think it's just the tracks suit the car depending on where they are so uh, but yeah it'd be, it'd be interesting to uh, see actually um, how it plays out towards the end of the season where they can maintain this going forward and uh, I mean with with the uh, with the other races we've got left I mean next we're off to the US at the Circuit of the Americas, which we'll talk about in the news a bit more. Um, it's a very high speed track, that. So, you know, I mean, just, yeah, this is the thing. Who knows? We can't tell. It's, it's, sort of, it's sort of a mix of Turkey and Silverstone. Yeah. So, obviously, we've seen how good Ferrari have been at Silverstone. You know, they should do second. well. Um, so, in the first sector, they should be pretty solid. And then, obviously, we've got the bit towards the third sector where you've got the sort of turkey turn eight style, but in reverse, where they go yeah. right instead of left. 
you know, and depending on how Sunday's race comes for Ferrari, I mean, they're looking relatively strong um, for Turkey, you know, from what we've seen so far. Um, it could be that the US might benefit Ferrari, you know, over, say, McLaren. It, that, that, that's a very tight battle between between them two. Yeah, very much so. All right, well, we've looked back at Russia a little bit and all the trials and tribulations from that race. Let's uh, round up with all the news and the gossip before we look ahead to this weekend's Turkish Grand Prix. Okay, let's round up the latest news and all the gossip from the world of F1 since we were last here. And just a little bit of a spoiler alert. If you haven't watched qualifying yet for the Turkish Grand Prix, we're about to drop some bombs that would kind of put all that to bed. So uh, if you haven't watched qualifying for the Turkish Grand Prix, please skip ahead or pause now. Okay, that should have been long enough. And... Let's talk about the the latest news. Uh, Lewis Hamilton set to receive a 10-place grid drop for Turkey for a brand new ICE or an internal combustion engine for his power unit. This puts him down to P11 for Sunday's race after setting the fastest time in qualifying for Sunday's Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, We're recording this after qualifying, if you didn't gather from that. Turkey is one of only a few circuits where Lewis Hamilton, and I couldn't believe this, is yet to start from pole position. So he won't be doing that again, even though he's claimed, obviously, P1 in qualifying, because he'll be starting P11 on the grid. Do you feel like this was a necessary change? I, although I've been hearing that it, it was necessary in terms of technicalities, because the engine needed to be replaced due for, you know, because of mechanical reasons. It needed to be done, Um but I don't know whether they're going to rue the fact they've only just took the ICE instead of taking all the other units as well. You think they should have taken 20-place grid penalty? I mean, I think, say, after qualifying, the Mercedes has such a strong race pace. I, I think, you know, it would have been a, a very big chance to claw back a lot of the positions, especially with, you know, the pace Max is setting. They're not setting the, the times are light. If anything, I'd say Ferrari have probably got a faster race pace than mm, mm. than the Red Bulls. Yeah, that's true. I mean, from what we've seen in in uh, in you know practice and and what we saw in qualifying, strong showings. Um, but we have Carlos Sainz also taking a full engine drop, like Charles Leclerc did in Sochi. So Sainz is going to be starting last um, on, on the grid. But yeah, I think with the with the engine switch, I do. I feel like. It makes sense, obviously, for Ferrari to do it because they've got a good pace. But maybe Mercedes just wanted to have a little bit of wriggle room in their pocket, just because you never know what could happen. You know, Hamilton starting P11 right in the middle of the pack, he could fall down the grid. Oh, and I guess essentially, I've just counted my own point. He might as well have started from the back. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to think. Um, last year, in, in you know, changeable conditions, he started P6. He got to third by the first corner. He spun it and went behind Vettel and stayed there for quite a while. But he ended up winning the race. But but as Lewis has, but, but as Lewis has said in press conferences after qualifying, last year's race was very different. And coming to Turkey this year, they've redone all the asphalt, and the the track is something like ridiculously multiple seconds quicker a lap well, than it was to put last year. Perspective, last year in dry running they were doing I believe one twenty eight. 
in qualifying today, they were doing 130s. They were two seconds off a dry pace last season. You know, normally a wet pace is about, you know, eight to ten seconds slower. Well, yeah. They were only two seconds slower than a dry pace. Well, that was in practice. And in qualifying, Hamilton set the fastest time with a 122. So, yeah. I mean, that just puts it into into perspective. A 122.8 to take pole position. So it's six seconds difference from FP1 yet like last season. Yeah. To dry qualifying this season. The track has wrapped up. And that's with not much running since no. F1 was there last year. And they've got no support races this season either. No, no, not at all. Yeah, so, I mean, that just kind of shows the, the difference there. But, um, yeah, maybe the, the, the grippiness of the track, of course, it suits every car on the circuit, but it really suits the Mercedes where they can really push the car through those corners and the high Gs, especially at Turn 8 um, with the four apexes. And they've almost put in 6G through there. Just incredible um, just to watch and, and for them to, to go through um, one of the greatest corners on the F1 calendar I'm glad it's back to be honest I, I thought one last year was a was a one hit wonder to fill the gap but um, Turkey's popular and, and I'm glad it's it's back here well, to stay I, I hope that it gets a, a, a more of a full time seat because mm. I'm pretty sure it's not on the calendar for next season but I hope it you know talks happen and they yeah. do get Turkey back yeah, very much so. It's a good track. We want it to stay. Uh, Chris, we are talking about Andretti um, closing on a deal for Alfa Romeo. We've sort of come out of nowhere, this one. Yeah, sort of paddock sort of gossip that sort of happened in the past sort of 24, 48 hours. And basically, Michael Andretti, son of uh, former F1 world champion Mario Andretti, um, looks to be taking over the Alfa Romeo team he's going to be buying a lot of stakes which will put him as sort of the, the main shareholder of the team and you know when we were talking just you know a couple of podcasts ago about Guan Yu Zhou looking to be taking the seat well that's potentially not going to be the case if Andretti take um, ownership of the team and Colton Herta is going to be you know very much a front runner to get the F1 seat you know, Colton Hurt doing absolutely phenomenal things in IndyCar. Um, and it looks like he's going to be moving over to Formula One. Yeah, and I remember watching Colton Herter at, I think it was the St. Petersburg race. Um, and he performed so well and performs really well at those uh, street street race uh, circuits. I mean, he does well in obviously the, the oval races, but uh, was putting in really strong performances. And yeah, just how quickly things can change in this world of F1. And um, people, it's maybe not a name they've heard too much, but um, I think you'll be hearing a lot more about uh, Colton as we go forward. And I find this move really interesting as well, because obviously we have the Haas F1 team uh, on the paddock, uh, sorry, on the grid as well. And this could be, you know, a bit of American competition, which we probably weren't seeing coming really. And for 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 Haas, they probably felt like, you know, they were the American kind of presence in the paddock. But now, if this goes through, I know it's still going to be Alfa Romeo, which has the European, oh, sorry, image and um, profile to it. But at the end of the day, it's going to be owned by Americans, and there's going to be a, a second American team essentially on the grid. And do you think Haas will be? feeling a bit bitter about it uh potentially but i think more of the point is ferrari have you know they've committed to helping alfa romeo out and say they already helped Haas out they give them engines and gearboxes and whatever um but ferrari have committed to helping alfa romeo stay in and alfa romeo is 
you know, the B team for Ferrari compared to Haas, you know, they're, they're leaps and bounds ahead of Haas as well. So I think if they then got an American ownership as well, I think probably unless Haas have a great season next season, I don't think I don't think Haas are going to be in F1 for much longer if that's the case. Well, so I was about to ask you, if if Haas don't improve their their performance, do you think this is like sort of a a, a backstop in case that and in case Haas do pull out of the sport? Potentially, but I, I mean, if you've seen how the Andretti organization have sort of grown, they've they've sort of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, you know, I know obviously Michael Andretti has been you know, he's been a former Formula One driver. He was teammates with uh, Senna. So, you know, he's obviously got aspirations to run an F1 team. And I think he said publicly that he does want to get into Formula One and Grand Prix racing again. Um, so maybe this is his first chance and, you know, it could be his best chance. And Alfa Romeo would say they are a midfield team, um, albeit at the back of the midfield. But, you know, they do throw a few surprises I mean Giovinazzi going to Q3 at Monza which I don't think anybody expected just in, in interesting timing as well considering that we are on the back of the 2021 season going to a new era of Formula 1 I'm sure the Andretti portfolio and uh, family kind of targeted that and um, are not stupid and, and struck at the right perf- perfect time to be honest as well so um, good to notice there I think and uh, bring bring themselves into the sport uh, at the right time. Um, moving on to Fernando Alonso, and this has been really almost the most contentious uh, point in the news, I think, today. He believes that penalties for track limits and other on-track behaviour is only being dished out to certain drivers and that there is an air of kind of bias across the grid. Now, this is kind of referring to uh, times in the previous races where certain drivers have gone off the track and haven't been penalised for it. But then when it comes to other drivers that have done pretty much exactly the same thing, uh, essentially, they haven't been treated the same. And Alonso kind of took this upon himself in Russia, didn't he, Chris? Yeah, F- F- Fernando, he was practising in you know the reconnaissance laps of what he was going to aim to do in the first corner. And he ended up, you know, basically annihilating... The track. Well, he didn't even he, he didn't even try you know, he didn't even try and make turn one. No, and he and he gained positions out of it as well. You know, he went from you know I think seventh or eighth, and he, he got up to fourth. You know, and say so there was not even an investigation. I know they said oh you have to go through the chicane. Well, he did that at you know going 140, 150 mile an hour. You know, <laughs> yeah. If he had went into the barrier, everyone would have been like, "Oh, what's he done? Oh, that's a big accident." Well, he, yeah. he but the thing is, it. It, it was admissible yeah. because in the rules, in the that they'd set that in in the driver briefing, like they do every weekend, it was allowed. So again, like like track limits earlier on in the season when we were at Portimao, this is kind of another bit of a grey area in terms of track limits. But I want to move and particularly focus on the whole certain drivers part of it and bias towards certain drivers and nationalities he's been referring to specifically. Like, do you think that that would actually be a thing? Like ha- that would happen? The stewards would favour certain drivers over another? I very much doubt that's the case. Um, I think that's the reason why they changed the stewards um, per race, um, just so it is equality across the grid. I mean, stewards are there to be neutral. Um, I know we've had Mika Hakkinen, you know, he's finished, but, you know, he's still, you know, I'm sure giving penalties out to Kimi Raikkonen and, you know, Heike Kovalainen back in the day and Valtteri Bottas. 
I know we've seen um, uh, Derek Warwick. He's given penalties to Lewis Hamilton. So I don't think uh, nationality-wise you're going to get uh, drivers that or stewards that favour you. I know we've had... Um, oh, I don't think it was Tom Christensen. Um, I believe it was another uh, endurance championship driver. Um, but he, he was a steward for a Formula 1 race. So they got, they got different disciplines to get their opinions on the things as well, not just purely sole F1 drivers as well as the stewards. So I don't think you're going to get bias in that, or I hope not anyway. Um, but again, because you've got, I think it's four or five stewards um, per race, you're, you're going to have a... People's views are going to be different, no matter what. We, we see, like, you know, we saw when the Silverstone incident, for instance... A lot of people were for Lewis. A lot of people were against Lewis. A lot of people thought it was a racing incident. But that's the sort of thing you're going to get in a stewards meet. And if you're going to do something like that, you're going to have more than not sure sense of if it's a penalty. If people don't agree, it's probably going to be a lesser penalty than what it isn't. And otherwise, you're going to, you know, let things slip through. And I think if they're certain that oh, we, we, they, they're going to have to go through this, then, you know, it's going to be like that now until the rules have changed to cut that When it comes to Alonso's out, you know? point for doing all this, do you think he has a point? I think yeah. he's proved the point. He didn't get a penalty and yet he did it mm-hmm. and gained an advantage. Yeah. Well, that's that, isn't it? Um, it would be interesting to see what comes of it and whether Alonso will try anything... At Turkey, I mean, Turkey's got big, big runoffs that would be detrimental. I don't think you can really gain much at Turkey. I don't really think there is. I I mean, apart from turn nine, but then again, the only reason you're going to go off the track there is... And they've made that very clear that the curb or the curbs around the track as well are uh, kind of ground to to deleting times. There are times being deleted in in free practice where Kimi Kimi Raikkonen went, I think, went onto the curb at, at like turn six or seven. Uh, and that lap time was deleted, so it seems they're enforcing it. But um, we'll see what happens with the kind of the the other tracks as well. Um, Brazil could be interesting um, with the Senna S's. Um We'll see what happens. Um, moving on through the news now, uh, Formula One is really aiming to make a commitment to sustainable fuel as it moves forward. Because there's lots of talk about where F1 goes in the future and what its purpose is. Obviously, we go racing with F1 for the entertainment value. There's no doubt about that. It's a sport at the end of the day and it provides great entertainment for all of us watching and that's why we love the sport. But at the same time, it's there for a scientific purpose. It's there to evolve and and push us forward in the real world and like real cars and and engines and development and and technology. And of course, they can't go electric and that that was being sort of aired about for a while because that seemed like the next logical step because extreme, not extremely, because Formula E have exclusive rights to all electric vehicles I believe until something like 2030 or 20 might be even later than that might be 2045 2050 so they can't do electric so they're going to be moving into the sustainable fuel ever sort of biofuels reusing um, products and recycling to basically use fuel and um, go to more of a sustainable mixture and they want to be net carbon zero by 2030 now if any sport can do it Chris Formula One can do it, can't they? Yeah, Formula Formula One have been, you know, exercising, you know, road safety. They've been trying to 
perform better fuel-wise for many years as it is. I mean, the introduction of hybrids, trying to, you know, boost hybrid production across the world. And, you know, obviously with the FIA doing Formula E, you know, they're, they're trying to get more alternatives to fossil fuels um, and, and trying to get it into sort of everyday life. And, you know, Formula One is such a, you know, big thing across the world. You know, it's one of the biggest sports worldwide. And, you know, we have companies like McLaren, Ferrari, um, you know, Aston Martin. We have big car names in Formula One these days, in Mercedes as well. Um, yeah, not to forget the champions. The tech, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the technology they use in Formula One passes down and passes through into the everyday road cars we drive you know and if they've got technology which you know makes it that alternative fuels are able to be on road cars you know it's going to be worth having it it's gonna it's gonna change the game isn't it it will you know and that technology then get passed down to us from something we watch you know like cars driving you know every other week you know we're going to be having that same level of technology with us every day of our lives yeah and it's it's very important i think although we've got you know all electric cars now on the road mainly tesla but we have other options of course there's many hybrid options there's going to need to be an alternative to electric isn't there because We've seen some issues with electric, you know, at the moment it can be quite expensive for, you know, you and me, like everyday person to get an electric vehicle in terms of practicalities of charging it up. So there's always going to be a need to have an alternative going forward if people can't afford electric vehicles as they currently are in the market or practically for them, you know, they can't charge it as often as they'd like. Um, Alternative fuel, if that becomes the norm, um, then, you know, that's... That's needed going forward. And uh, funny enough, Formula One in 2022 will be moving to an E10 fuel. And it's not the E10 fuel that we've recently moved to in the UK. It's a, obviously a different mix specifically for performance and, and and sport and and elite cars like Formula One. But essentially, the whole point of E10 is it's got 90% fossil fuel and 10% ethanol, which is made up of obviously renewable products so they're already actively moving towards that and discussing with fuel companies like shell and and other other companies associated with f1 exxon mobile um that you know this is the this is the way they're going to go and this is the only way they can go isn't it chris because it's the only other market out there that they can really focus on with electric being out of the picture yeah i mean i think formula one have been looking at you know climate change for quite a few years now that's why they they you know went to the hybrid mode to try and cut down on emissions and it and obviously with you know many initiatives out there now i think they have to commit and i think they'd lose a massive fan base if they were to stop trying to develop these types of fuels and you know i don't think f1 can afford to lose an audience because of it and i think it's only right that we do find alternatives um, to try and, you know, help cut, you know, fossil fuels out as well as um, other things as well. I know they're trying to go carbon neutral, you know, 
which when you fly halfway across the world many times a year, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> you know, it is pretty difficult. You know, they use ferries, they use container ships, they use planes, they use helicopters. You know, and say the amount of fuel they use for a Grand Prix race weekend as it is, you know, is it's a big tall order. But if they're saying they can do it in the next nine years, then you know it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen in nine years time. Yeah. And it's going to be hopefully in our road cars before we know it. And as we say, that's going to, that's going to help us uh, out in the real world. Yeah, hopefully um, it makes right. it all cheaper. <laughs> well, I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. It's uh, hitting our heart pockets at the moment quite a lot, let's say. Um, let's, let's rattle through uh, a few news items now. We're sort of, we, it's, it's going to be a long podcast, this one, if, if, if you would like to stick around. Um, we have got some track concerns linked to our next Grand Prix at the Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas. Um, this is coming from the MotoGP circuit. Uh, this is coming from the MotoGP paddock. Um, and there's basically on the Cota track, there's they're like vicious ripples in a track, which of course is really unsettling for bikes. Um, but of course, if that's the case for bikes, it's likely to be the case for F1 cars going there uh, for the next race. And just tell me just very quickly, Chris, about what the particular reasons are for the Cota track surface being the way it is. Um, so as far as I'm aware, uh, when they built the Cota track, it's on a very soft sort of land and when you know you get pretty awful conditions like we had um a couple of months ago with the hurricane yeah over in extreme weather yeah uh basically they had so much water it basically makes the land bubble and you know sort of move and where it does that it, it then creates quite a lot of bumps and it, it physically moves and changes the landscape so when MotoGP went there, I believe it was last weekend, a lot of the bikes um, just kept sliding. They had no grip because the track had moved so much uh, and it was so bumpy compared to when they were last racing two years ago. Um, it was pretty unrideable for, for the motorcyclists. Yeah, and it's, oh, I'm, I mean, uh, being on four wheels, just slightly more, got a bit more safety and being in a car but especially for motor gp and, and bikes going the speeds they go i can't believe like how how worrying or scary that must have been um so hopefully things might clear up for the for the race next next time we go there to the circuit of the americas uh in two weeks time but i mean you know what can they do in two weeks hopefully they could do something but uh i, well, I don't think a whole lot yeah i think <laughs> It, I think it could be a lot of the same in which it's going to be very bumpy and you're going to see a lot of cars like just yeah. spinning. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully something happens, but if it doesn't, it might be, uh, uh, we're talking about Turkey last year. It might be a Turkey um, for this year, but the circuit, the Americas instead. Um, it'll, it'll be um, Thanksgiving day, a month early. It'll be <laughs> <Turkey> day. <laughs> I don't think they'll be very thankful for it, to be honest with you. Um, Lando Norris has been testing the new 2022 car, albeit though in the simulator, of course, there isn't such thing in, in existence yet. Um, he says it's not very nice to drive in the simulator, um, but compared to this season, he's not very nice, but hopefully he says that's the game. He says hopefully that's the case with every team. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, it, well, it's going to be a different car. Like when we went from the V8s to the hybrids and how people didn't like that. I remember Vettel just like really struggling to get on with the, the car in, in 2014 when he was in the Red Bull and then and left 
for Ferrari, but um, it's all I think it's going to be the case, hopefully, with every team. And then quickly moving on to Alpha Tauri boss Franz Toast uh, in the um, press conference for the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend, he said the 23 race calendar is it's been really stressful on the staff and the teams and the personnel and uh, should be reconsidered for 2022 for perhaps reducing the amount of races that they go to. Chris, do you agree? Do you think there are too many races on the calendar or do you think it's kind of part of the new direction that Formula 1 has to be going in and providing a bigger offering? I think it's very difficult. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be spending time away from friends and family. Um, which can be quite difficult for them, uh, you know, especially when you're in COVID bubbles as well. You know, it's going to be twice as hard. Um, so I can understand that point of view. But at the same point, you know, it is part and parcel of the job. You know, you're going to be away for quite a long time, you know, as it is anyway. Albeit up until last year, we'd never done racing in December. Um, so... Uh, the length of the calendar has increased as well as the, the races. But, you know, last year was an exceptional thing where we had 17 races over the course of about five months. You know, this time next year, obviously we're going to be racing from March until December. So you're going to have a bit more time at home. Um, but, you know, it's, it's... It's very much a team game as well. And I think you'll see the teams that cope well with having the extra races are probably going to be the teams that do better in the championship as well. Like you'll see it towards the end of the races, maybe, you know, different teams where they're able to, you know, mix it up a little bit more. They'll be able to sort of get better performance. You know, you, you might see, you know, something like a pit stop time increasing over the course of the season because the staff are tired and they're stressed. It could be something as simple as that. And then towards the end of the season, that could be massive for the mm. championship. Yeah. People forget that it's, you know, it's just all about the drives on track. And what we see is just, I don't know, Pierre Gasly, Hamilton, Vettel, whoever driving around and it's down to them. But as we know, there's also this, it's a massive, massive team sport. And without all those mechanics, engineers, everything, it wouldn't happen. And they're very key to it. So he's raising some real concerns there, I guess, that people wouldn't think about on the face of it. And if teams, if all the teams on the grid start to have a, a struggle with that, you know, I'm sure they'll come forward and, and make their case known. So like with issues in the past and there'll be a general consensus, but um, yeah, not very good to hear that, hopefully. But um, perhaps it's, it's just a, a feeling that they have at the moment and, um, if they can adapt to it, then great. If not, then hopefully we'll see some changes. If if you know if teams are struggling with it, we don't want people to be overworked and like to the point where we can't cope. It's just not healthy, especially in the sort of the COVID landscape that we're in. Like you said, Chris. Um, to move him through a couple of things now, the F1 grid has been uh, running prototype gloves uh, in Turkey this weekend in practice. It's all part of research on improving fire resistance since Roman Grosjean's crash in Bahrain last year, that horrific crash through the barrier. Uh, and the FIA explained that the prototype gloves are designed to deliver increased heat transmission protection in relation to current gloves compared to it. So basically for the gloves to withstand heat for a longer time in case anyone does you know, find himself in that horrible situation that Roman found himself in uh, last time. So that's a really uh, interesting development in, in terms of safety. Um, we, and just a mention on liveries uh, this weekend and uh, throughout the week, Red Bull is showing off a special livery for Honda, leaving the sport with a, with a for a fourth time, uh, which w- would have been the Japanese Grand Prix this weekend. But of course, 
because of COVID restrictions and everything else. That has obviously then moved to Turkey uh, this weekend, but they they stuck with it. It was a long-term plan. So it's basically celebrating uh, the significance of Honda. And uh, of course, Japan would have been the, the home race, but they can't do that. So we've got that. And staying with the theme of liveries, Lewis Hamilton has said this week uh, that he would like or welcome the return of the silver arrow compared to the black livery they have now, obviously to promote the um, Black Lives Matter movement and uh, Hamilton's work on diversity. But, you know, um, I, th- I like both liveries personally. And, uh, you know, I still think the message that Lewis Hamilton puts across um, will, will be as loud with, with, with either livery and uh, the, any of the work that he's done and the impact that, that did have that, with the team committing to it, I think has had a great... Uh, been a great move from the team and certainly got people talking about the right thing so um yeah that's your news on liveries which we don't talk about every week and then finally we've got word of the replacement for the australian grand prix and we're going to be heading to qatar before the end of the season and a additional 10-year deal from 2023 chris and this is the circuit talking about MotoGP, MotoGP earlier uh the the most gp visit visits most often, um, but now F one's going to be playing host to it for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so MotoGP normally have it as its opening race of the calendar. Um, normally a night race because of the extreme temperatures that they get in Qatar. Even you know nine ten o'clock at night when it's pitch black, they're still reaching temperatures of about forty degrees. Um, but they've announced at the Lasail International Circuit it'll be a twilight race, a bit like what they do in Abu Dhabi. So we're going to get a second twilight race this season, which will be very interesting to see. And that'll be the first of a triple header at the end of the season in the Middle East. We've obviously, we've got um, Saudi Arabia in between that and Abu Dhabi. Um, And then, yeah, like you say, a 10-year deal starting from 2023. um, That is due to Qatar hosting the FIFA World Cup next season in the November, October, December sort of time. So that's why they're not hosting the race next year. They want the focus and everything to be on the World Cup, which you can understand. It's, it's a big event. Don't want to steal the limelight. So, you know, be like, you know, what, what country was it? I think it was 2014 that uh, Brazil had the World Cup and then two years later they had the Olympics and it was all quite a bit bit big and a bit sort of... bit too much. All too, all too much too quickly. Yeah. So, you know, an F1 race, a little bit less of what an Olympics game is. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be um, should be all good and say that the track's already there and it's very much raced on in MotoGP. And um, yeah, it'll be very nice to see another Twilight race. Obviously, the first one we had was in 2009 with Abu Dhabi. Mm. Um, which I was looking up some Abu Dhabi facts and, you know, quite a few things surprised me with that track. Yeah. Well, there's there's been there's been some really successful I think races since we went to the Twilight races and my favourite Twilight race and I think one of my favourite races of all uh, since I've been watching F1 has been the Hamilton Rosberg race so and, and the duel they had in Bahrain so um, see I quite enjoyed 2012. Oh Kimmy's really? Like, Kimmy's radio messages when he's in front at the safety car. That was, well, yes. that was quite good. <laughs> in Abu Dhabi, uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Um, well, I guess you could call that non-racing entertainment, but <laughs> he still was. Uh, Kimmy Raikkonen yeah, is just what, funny in general. He did win the race and uh, a good victory. It was that? Didn't he swear on the podium as well when he won? Probably. Talked to Dave Coulthard. Yeah. Kimmy says stuff all. Kimmy does what he wants. <laughs> 
He knows right. what he is doing, quite literally, because that's what he said it, I think. <laughs> I hope that he had the drink that day, though, because of late he hasn't had much luck. No, he's had a bit of a wet leg, hasn't he? <laughs> the less said about that, Chris, the better. Otherwise, we dig ourselves into a massive hole. Oh, God, that's probably not the best way. I should have said that following that. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, finally, rounding up this podcast, let's move our thoughts quickly ahead to... Uh, this weekend's race around the Turkish International Circuit. Okay, we arrive at Istanbul Park uh, after a thrilling Grand Prix last season where we saw Hamilton claim his seventh world title, his record-equaling seventh world championship with Schumacher. And last season had enough of a points gap to win it by Turkey and where the race was in the calendar. However, this season, very much a different story, Chris. We have two title protagonists really close. As we said before, only two points in it between Hamilton and Verstappen. It's all to play for. Yeah, it's looking to be a very, you know, hot and spicy race. Um, you know, it's very, very different to last year. Last year was, oh, can Lewis uh, win the championship? And it didn't look on most of the most of the race last year, and then you know the weather the weather changed things, and you know Lewis made the the strategy call and it worked for him. You know staying out on ultra worn inters onto a slick track, and it was the perfect call. You know that is a driver of a champion for you, um, but you know we don't know whether it's going to be raining tomorrow. I think the weather forecast is supposed to rain. Um, to which obviously the Mercedes do look rather quick. Um, but like I said, the Ferraris also look quick and Leclerc getting what is going to be P3 after qualifying fourth. You know, he could potentially throw in a spanner for the Red Bull and McLaren uh, Mercedes team uh, if he gets a jump start, well, not a jump start, but gets a jump on the start um, ahead of the Bottas and Verstappen. Okay, so now it comes down to the obviously. Rick- Crucial predictions for for the race from our point of view, and we've. I'm, ha- I'm going to say Bottas starting on pole. Yeah, well, we're not going to do qualifying because we've recorded this <laughs> after qualifying, so don't oh, don't damn. give me all of that. Um, we're talking about the absolute <laughs> result after the race, um, and considering where Hamilton is, we'll be starting P11. We've got Signs, who, as you just said, were performing well with Ferrari and Leclerc. Um, as well, where where can everyone finish for you this weekend, Chris? So there is one man, one man only that has been on absolute on fire this weekend, and that is Lewis Hamilton. And even though he's starting eleventh, I still think he's going to be winning this Grand Prix. Whoa, really? You think he started sixth last year and won the Grand Prix? But he's been constantly, you know, half a second a lap, you know. Three yeah. attempts a lap, two attempts a lap. Even in the final part of the qualifying, he was still a tenth and a half to two tenths ahead of Bottas. You know, yeah. And- does your does your decision consider anything from Sochi Grand Prix though? Last weekend, where we had Max starting from the back and um, making his way through the I grid think, think quite the quickly, but a, he kind of before. I think the fact he's on. got a fresh engine, you know, the, the IC yeah. in there. I think that's only going to help him. Yeah, um, but before the rain, power. I guess Verstappen Verstappen only ever got up to P seven, and had it not been for the rain, he might not have got any further forward. Because now we've got the midfield teams, think, and their their performances are really high level, is, like McLaren and say um, and Ferrari. I think the difference is the, the times between the midfield and the front at Sochi were pretty close, anyway. Yeah, I mean Lewis Hamilton is looking about five to six tenths, you know, 
a lap quicker than most of that and you know even going to say like Aston Martin you know who who battles in 10th and starting one place ahead of him he's probably about a second a lap slower than Lewis Hamilton you know and when DRS comes into play you know Lewis Hamilton's going to be flying you know I get most of them will have (laughs) DRS as well but Lewis Hamilton's going to have that as well as on top of the actual pace and for whatever reason he's blistering in the corners you were you you were you were referencing earlier to Bottas and how he was running low downforce in Sochi and how well that kind of hindered him a bit didn't it um going round he's gone with a lower downforce setup at that side of the garage for Turkey as well this weekend um and Hamilton's gone for a high downforce setup do you think that the high downfall setup is again right for this Turkish circuit. It seems to have been working for him. I think the higher downfalls will help um, being behind cars. Yeah. Um, where Bottas obviously he had a lower downfall, so he was going to be struggling in the corners, which you know he wouldn't have been overtaking anyone. And because everybody was in a DRS train with Bottas, he, he weren't really making any inroads. So I think having the higher downforce. You know, he knew he was going to be behind Bottas anyway. I think it was a smart call. That way, he can just get a bit more grip and it'll save the tyre life throughout the first stint as well, which is what you want. You want to, you know, try and get as far ahead as you can with them tyres. So, yeah, I think that will that will help for sure. Um, and then, yeah, with Bottas, I think, you know, it providing he gets a good start, which Mercedes have not had much of this season, Um Finally, gets one of them. He it should be you know, see you later almost um, <laughs> with with Bottas. But you know, are we going to get Bottas of of Sochi where you know he's nowhere, or are we going to get Bottas of Monza where mm. you know he was up there? We don't know with Bottas. We had Bottas three point oh, and then we had Bottas negative three point oh. Yeah, it's almost it's it's very very crucial as we've been saying throughout the season, but even more so as we get less and less races for the rear gunner, the number two driver of 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 Mercedes and Red Bull as we get closer to this climax of the championship. Perez, only P7, can't really affect too much for Max. Unfortunately, he's not right behind him. Uh, But of course, Bottas is at the front of the grid and uh, hopefully Hamilton can catch him up quickly. Um, Do you think there'll be team orders at play with both teams if, if there needs to be? I think Red Bull would definitely do team orders. I think Lewis has got to get... You know, he's got to be up with Valtteri at the yeah. point of um, when they pit. I think if, if they are together um, and only a couple of seconds apart, I can see Lewis going on to win the race. Um, however, if by the time they come in and Lewis has got stuck behind, you know, Perez or, mm. or Leclerc or something, uh, I don't think Mercedes have the right to really call team orders <laughs> unless Max is out of the race. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really see it happening. No, all right. Well, this is the this is the crucial. Well, what's, I think what's harder your pick predi- for the win? You haven't said that. Nothing well, yet. I want you to finish second and third first. Oh, okay. So I'm. This is the this is the more difficult course, I think, especially of late in these F1 races. I think it's been easier to call the winner, but not the second and third. So who do you think is going to be second and third on and fill up the rest uh, of the podium? Bottas second, Leclerc third. Well, okay. Right. I think Ferrari have a better race pace than Red Bull. Um, and I think if uh, Leclerc can get ahead of Verstappen at the beginning of the race, I think Max will struggle to get back past him. Uh, mm. And then, so I think Bottas should, 
in theory, pull away from the Ferrari as well. Mm, okay, interesting. All right. Um, for me, I'm, I'm so I'm so close to saying Hamilton to win, but I just have this really niggling feeling. I don't know why against it. Oh, screw it. I'm going to say Hamilton. You're just copying me now. No, no. I, I'm, I was 50-50, but I, I just think back to obviously last year in Turkey and his supreme driving. And I think back to his GP2 days as well and that impressive comeback where he got up to P2 um, around the same track. I think that was in 2006. Yeah. And that was just an incredible performance. So uh, I think, yeah, I can see it happening. However, when it comes to second and third, I am really, really torn. And I think... Are you going for the bot or bot there? I think Verstappen is going to be second because he's starting second anyway. I think when it comes Bottas, I just think back to last last year when Bottas what spun like seven times during the race. It was a terrible Grand Prix for him, but he seems to be a bit more on the pace this weekend. But then I have a feeling about Leclerc and, and, and Gasly as well. And Gasly was quicker than than Perez and, and quite, a few, you know, he, he was fourth in, in qualifying. But whether that's whether that's because of what the conditions were like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Bottas. Annoying. I really don't want to say Bottas. It's boring, but. See, at least I changed it up and said Leclerc. Yeah, yeah. But really, that's really, for me, it's really between Leclerc and Bottas for me and possibly Gasly as well. Nah, but if Gasly, I had to pick, but... if I had to pick Bottas. Which really I can't bold believe predi- you're not picking your beloved Aston Martin who are going to finish second in the Constructors <laughs> this year. <laughs> Can you not bring that up to people listening, please? No, you're, you, you, no because you owe me a Nando's because McLaren are closer to second than Aston Martin anywhere near. <laughs> We have to explain what happened. So at the start of the start of the season, when we were doing a podcast and predicting the constructor standings in our early episodes, which you can listen back to on on your podcast platform, which you, how you're listening now, you can go back to those early episodes and see what we were predicting. Um, I predicted Aston Martin were going to come second in the constructors. Um, and you said Red Bull were going to be sixth. I did not. Did I say that? God, that's embarrassing, yeah. isn't it? It's I at least said ha- Red Bull going to be third. Well, that's not going to happen I mean, either, I, though, is it? No, but at least Red Bull and McLaren are the other way around. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, again, talking about Aston Martin, they could have a strong showing this weekend. Uh, they are eighth and tenth on the grid for the race tomorrow, so not too bad considering their performance of late. So who knows? Who knows, Chris? They could surprise us. All right, that is it for this episode of Around the Outside. Um, We are working behind the scenes absolutely flat out to try and book some uh, really interesting guests for those special guest episodes we like to do between uh, race gaps. So we may well be back next week for for you with a little bonus special episode uh, talking to a guest uh, related with the world of Formula One. And uh, we're looking ahead as well to the end of the season and trying to book a few uh, interesting guests uh, in for, for you to enjoy. But in the meantime, we will let you know if there are any of those guests on our social media, on Facebook, at um, Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook, or at ATO Podcast underscore on Instagram. Until next time, 
when we'll be back here on Around the Outside, it's been me, Jake. And me, Chris. And we'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening and take care. Take care.